0: What's going on everyone and welcome into another edition of b Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you on Tuesday, May 24th, early morning hours following a late night at Busch Stadium on Monday as the Cardinals take down the Toronto Blue Jays in grand fashion. It was Paul Goldschmidt coming through in his fifth at bat of the day. He was looking to extend that hitting streak to a 15th game. Had previously in the evening not had a very good game, a a pretty uncharacteristic game for Paul Goldschmidt. Three strikeouts grounded into a double play. But all that matters is the last one, and he made the last one count. Goldschmidt hitting a line drive to left field. You knew off the bat the Cardinals had won the game. It was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. Left fielder was shifted way towards center field, so he wasn't catching this ball even if it stayed in the yard. But it's nice to pad the stats a little bit. Grand slam for Paul Goldsmith. Cardinals win it 7-3 to at Bush Stadium. Plenty to get into in tonight's episode of b Shape Daily. We got to talk a little bit about the Pirates series. Since we last spoke, the Cardinals uh, have found themselves on a little winning streak. Now up to four games, thanks to the heroics by Goldsmith late on Monday night. They also had a big weekend in Pittsburgh, sweeping the Pirates away in three games. You had another outburst offensively on Sunday. 18 total runs were scored. And how about it? We got to see the pitching debut in the major leagues of one Yadier Molina. So consecutive weeks, Albert Pujols pitches on a Sunday night in San Francisco or against San Francisco I should say at home. And then you get Yadier Molina making his MLB debut on the mound here in what his 19th season in the league. So that was a lot of fun. We can talk a little bit about that. But certainly want to spend a lot of tonight's episode on the most recent game as the Cardinals got one against a good team, right? It's nice to sweep the Pirates, but you're supposed to beat the Pirates. The Blue Jays are expected to fare a little bit better this season, and they've got the better record, a winning record, even after the loss to the Cardinals on Monday, 22-20 and at this point for Toronto on the season. But this was a good win for the Cardinals. And you got a lot of the elements that you'd like to see from the team. A couple things of concern, some notes that we can make, certainly. But the starting pitching was good. And Miles Michaelis has been that all season long for the Cardinals. Six and two-thirds innings, three runs that he gave up. Did give up a home run, said it was a bad pitch that he would have liked back. But those are going to happen. Otherwise, he felt pretty good. And the other runs that were surrendered by Michaelis weren't actually surrendered when he was on the mound. We get into one of the notes that we would make. Keep an eye on Andre Pellante in terms of bringing him into those leverage situations with runners on base. I wondered last week when we saw Oliver Marmol, Cardinals manager, go to Nick Wittgren in the game that Dakota Hudson started. Couldn't get out of the fifth inning and there were runners on base, inherited runners. And instead of going to Helsley, going to Gallegos in that game. This was the one that ultimately the Cardinals lost in extra innings. Remember the Pete Alonso walk-off home run against Gallegos? It was this game out in New York. And at the time, some people were wondering, okay, why didn't they go to Helsley? Why didn't Ali Marmal go to Gallegos in the fifth inning with the game on the line, the highest leverage situation? And I said, at the time, this was an argument on Twitter, and I said, listen, I think there's a lot of ways they could have gone with this, but the fifth inning is too early to bring in your leverage arms your late-inning relievers. Marmol agreed. Ultimately, that proved to be the correct answer, I think, at the time because you ended up having the guys you wanted to have at the end of the game available. It just didn't work out for the Cardinals on that day. But another option, and this was presented to me on Twitter at the time, I can recall, Palante. Some people wondered, why not Andre Palante in that spot with leverage in the fifth-inning runners on base? I said, well, his previous outing at that point was a little bit of a struggle. Didn't really have his best stuff. Still has great numbers for the season, but I think Marmol maybe on that day last week wanted to see Palante in less of a stressful situation. Don't put him in there with runners on base. You can remember always with Alex Reyes, and we do have some injury updates as well for today's show, and, and the one on Reyes is not going to be a favorable one. Is He met with Dr. Neil Elitrash in Los Angeles and is likely heading for a surgery to repair a torn labrum which is just a really tough break for Alex Reyes. But we'll get into the injury stuff a little bit later on after we finish wrapping up the conversation surrounding Monday's win over the Blue Jays. But for Alex Reyes, always the case has been, yeah, you don't really want him to come into a situation with runners on. You like him to have a clean inning because that way, even if he walks a guy or two or gives up a base hit here or there, he can work around that danger and still do a nice job. That was the case for Reyes last year as the closer. And for the most part, he was able to, to to succeed in that role. But you remember, I believe the big grand slam, I think it was Daniel Vogelbach maybe that hit it off of Reyes last year. Cardinals blew a game to the Brewers. What was the circumstance of that? They brought him into a game where there were runners on base. That wasn't his own mess. He's not been the best at cleaning up messes. I'm not talking about him now in terms of his injury, but even when he was healthy, Reyes was not the guy you wanted to come in to, to clean up somebody else's mess. You wanted to give him a clean inning and trust that he wouldn't make his own or would at least be able to clean up his own. And for the most part, Rays did that. I'm starting to wonder if Polante maybe has a little bit of that in him where you'd like him to have a clean inning if you can afford it. And that wouldn't be a good news situation for the Cardinals bullpen because you'd like to have the rookie who's been so successful in, in many scenarios be a guy you can go to and turn to in those kinds of situations. Marmal did that on Monday night. And Polante ends up walking in the first two batters that he faces, or I should say, walking the batters which walked in a pair of runs, put the Cardinals in an unenviable position, down three to one at that point. He did retire the next batter. You got to face three. I'm curious to see what would have happened if if Ollie would have maybe gone back to his bullpen or tried to take him out, or if that was just going to be Polante wearing it there until he recorded an out in that inning. But he did get the third batter he faced, and so that limited the damage in the seventh inning. But those two runs were charged to Michaelis because they were inherited runners by Palante. Wasn't able to strand them. Uh, but what that meant for Michaelis was maybe a little bit of a, a a bump to his ERA compared to what it would have been. Still 1.96, though, on the season for Miles Michaelis. He has been fantastic. He was again tonight. And really, both starting pitchers were really good in, in this game. Jose Barrios for Toronto, Miles Michaelis. They were matching it stride for stride, and I swear – I was sitting next to Mark Saxon tonight in the press box, and after about the fifth inning, he said, man, this game's really moving along. The hockey game hasn't even started yet. And I made the mistake, and I I didn't even let the words leave my lips, but I said, well, this game is kind of, and I saw Mark's eyes get real wide because as a journalist up in the press box, you never say, oh, this game's flying along because that is the kiss of death. And even though the words did not leave my mouth, I proceeded to say, I stopped my sentence cold, and I said, well, I mean, the hockey game's starting late. It's an 8.45 puck drop. That's what I meant to say. Blues losing to the Avalanche. I don't want to talk about that. I'll get too upset if I talk about that. But I sort of tried to cover my tracks there. Of course, it didn't really work. By the end of the game, uh, things had ended up elongating a little bit compared to the pace we were on at least through about five innings. And a lot of that took place in the seventh inning with, Michaelis kind of slowing the pace a little bit, Polante coming in, walking batters. But the Cardinals at that point needed a, a bit of a pick-me-up, a bit of a jolt to figure out a way to catch back up in this game. They scored in the second inning of the game on a Brendan Donovan double that, that put them on the board first. George Springer matched the tally with a run in the sixth by homering his eighth of the season. And that got some boos, I think, from the Cardinals crowd. I don't know if the boos were because he's a former Astro or because he was kind of pimping the home run a little bit, but I think it's probably the Astro thing. Maybe a little bit of a combination of both, but he did get some boos, George Springer did. Uh, but Brendan Donovan had the double in the second inning that drove in Nolan Arenado. We'll hear more about Brendan Donovan as we go on because he played a significant role in the Cardinals' ability to, to bring this game home, and especially that was true in the late innings, because again it was three to one, you had just given up this this not the lead; it was a tie game before the seventh inning. But you you'd given up that opportunity to really feel like you were in command of things with the Palante walks. And where do they go from here? Well, Juan Yepes answered that question. He hits a home run and absolutely hammered it to left field. In the words of Manager Ali Marmol, his fourth of the season. It's just incredible what these young guys are doing. Yepes in a situation where. You know, things had not been going well the previous half inning. You're looking for a way to to feel some motivation to, to put a jolt not only into the crowd, but into the, the dugout as well. And you get it from this guy who didn't make the opening day roster. He had a so-so spring training. I think expectations coming into spring for Yepez where, hey, he's going to be on this roster and he could be an everyday player for this team. It just didn't materialize and he had to kind of go down to Memphis, wait for his opportunity. And he has taken it, Bull by the horns once he's gotten the chance, and he's really run with it, as has Brendan Donovan. And it was just impressive in that moment to see it from Yepes to be able to hit that ball, to, you know, take his pitch. It was interesting to hear from Marmal. He said there's a guy who pitch to pitch is making adjustments and kind of noticed that he stepped out of the box and that he was just really focused in on that at bat. There was, for Ali, he said it was outside of the homer, just being able to slow it down a little more was something that left Oliver Marmol impressed with Yepes and that at bat. But he was batting back-to-back in the lineup tonight with Brendan Donovan. Donovan starts a rally of his own there after the homer. They still need another run. It was 3-2 to two after what Yepes did. Donovan with a base hit, and then Corey Dickerson with a base hit. That was a big spot in the game that I think goes a little bit unnoticed uh, when after the fact you had a, a chance for Corey Dickerson to win the game late. And he ends up uh, grounding into a double play there in the bottom of the ninth inning. So that kind of killed that whole vibe. I was really thinking for a second there that Corey Dickerson being the walk-off hero would really, there'd be some implications of that because I feel like, and though he did get the base hit in the seventh that contributed to the rally, ultimately Harrison Bader on a 3-0 count drove in Brendan Donovan from third. Base hit up the middle for Bader to, to put that tying run on the board for St. Louis. I thought it was interesting. He had the green light on 3-0, and and that was a spot where you had to drive in a run. And so I think that shows a little bit of development, too, for Harrison Bader as an offensive player uh, to, to be able to be smart about what pitch he was going to look to drive there and drove a nice line drive back up the middle for the, the hit that got the tying run in there in the seventh. But with Dickerson, it's interesting because I just start to get the feeling, and I don't think it's going to happen right away, I think it may kind of hinge on Tyler O'Neill and, and what his readiness is to return to the team. But if he heads out on a rehab assignment soon, we saw Corey Dickerson in the lineup tonight. It almost feels to me like a deal where you can't DFA a guy without really giving him a real chance, right? And so it's like the Cardinals are playing Corey Dickerson with with a lot of regularity right now to kind of see what he does and see and make a decision on what, what's his makeup and, and what's his future with this team? I'm, I don't think it's that explicit, but I think that has to be there in the back of your mind watching is Lars Newpark got the call up today to the Cardinals and he wasn't in the lineup, right? It was it was Dickerson that got the start in left field. Ends up going one for four, but but that spot in the, the ninth inning where he grounded into the double play to end what was a, a, a bonafide chance to win that game before even going to extra innings, that's one that sticks out at you, and still at this point, Dickerson's hitting 192 on the season with the Cardinals, OPS of 478. That's not what you want. It's kind of hard. He's supposed to be a contact guy, right? You don't expect you're going to get a lot of power from him, not at this point in his career. But if you're a contact-oriented player, and that's your main talent, that's your main skill set, and you're hitting 192, I think that that questions are naturally going to be asked. And he's kind of getting Wally Pipped a little bit. It's not as though he's taken advantage of his opportunities. He has not. And even in recent weeks, while he's played maybe a little bit better over the last week in terms of having games where he's at least gotten a base hit or two, didn't love his defensive play over the weekend in in Pittsburgh in left field. He had a game where I felt like he probably cost Matthew Libertor on Saturday multiple runs on two separate plays. One was a, a double that goes over his head that he kind of stopped short of the wall and I think could have made a play on. I think he, that's a ball that should have been caught. And then the second one, it played a carom off the the weird sidewall in left field that ends up going as an inside the park homer. Probably didn't need to happen. I don't know that he's going to catch that ball, but you've got to find a way to not allow that carom to take place. And for a guy who won a gold glove as a left fielder in Pittsburgh in 2018, he didn't look very crisp defensively in, in that game over the weekend. But I just feel like you're looking at the roster and you're looking at, okay, what's the reason that things happen the way they do? I mean, Brandon Donovan was in right field tonight. That's that's what it looks like when a team really wants your bat to be in the lineup because of the great way you are performing. They're going to find a way to get you in there. And with Edmonds shifting over to shortstop, which he made an absolutely unbelievable play tonight. Maybe the best play I've seen by a shortstop in recent memory, certainly this season. The play that he made on a ball hit by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Edmund full extension, diving to his right, but pops up like it's nothing in order to, in a timely manner, fire a strike to Goldschmidt at first base. And it was Vladdy running, and he's not exactly fleet of foot. So it's not like he had to hurry, but it was just the fundamental nature of this play by Edmund blew me away in the moment. And and to the point that later on, I had to ask I'm all about it. I had to ask Goldschmidt about it since he was the guy who received the throw, I just thought that was an incredible play if you saw it on, on a ball hit by Guerrero Jr. Just a really exceptional play by Edmund that that tells you, if you didn't know already, like, yes, this guy can play shortstop. It's why it was so strange that the Cardinals were unwilling to do it prior to the Gorman promotion, but I, I just think it was a case of, for a while, they didn't want to make DeYoung look bad, although he he did plenty of that on his own. He didn't need any extra help looking bad, struggling at the plate. I believe he's struggling now with Memphis as well. So I I just don't think that that's a, a solution for the future uh, for Paul DeYoung returning to St. Louis in any meaningful fashion, unfortunately. But maybe he can turn things around and, and, and change things. But even after DeYoung was demoted, I figured surely they can throw Edmund at shortstop for a game and see how it looks. I think they had the confidence that he was going to be able to do it. They just weren't quite ready to, to do it yet. And once They were ready to pull the trigger on Nolan Gorman and and promoting him to the big leagues. I think that made a lot of difference in convincing the team like it was time. Edmund looks great at shortstop. I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. He might not win a gold glove there, but I think he's going to be perfectly capable of of holding down that position. Uh, Gorman offensively tonight, for those curious, didn't get a base hit in his home debut at Bush. Did reach base via walk uh, in a late-inning situation, but then he was pinch hit for. Uh, later in the game, Edmundo Sosa took an at-bat that, that could have been Gorman's uh, ahead of the, the Goldschmidt Grand Slam because the Blue Jays brought a left-handed pitcher into the game. Gorman doesn't have good numbers against lefties. Ultimately, Edmundo took a walk. Every pitch that he saw damn near hit him. Inside, inside, inside. And uh, so he took his walk, and that freed up Goldschmidt to be able to hit the home run. So I think Ollie knew what he was doing. It was it was the magnet of Edmundo Sosa about getting hit by every pitch that he saw was, was going to get him on base one way or another in that Gorman spot. But over 3 for Gorman tonight. Did reach base via walk. Average is down to 385. OPS still above 1,000. It's going to happen. You know, he's he's going to go through some slumps. This was just one of those nights, but I think you've got to keep his bat in the lineup. I'd even play him against lefties. Didn't like that he wasn't in the lineup over the weekend on Saturday for Libertor's start, but it was a lefty on the mound for Pittsburgh. He wanted to get Albert Pujols in there ultimately Gorman came into the game later on, but I, I just didn't like that he wasn't starting because I think he, that was a second day in the big leagues. want to see him be more of an everyday player. I know he hasn't ever hit well against lefties, but I would like to see them not limit the 22 year old in, into being a platoon type player at this point, but that seems to kind of be the direction. We'll see if he's able to overcome that at all with the merits of his performance at some point, but uh, Gorman did come into that game late on Saturday. Let me go ahead and do this. I'll I'll, I'll take a brief pause of of breaking down the the game on Monday to just catch us up on the injuries. You've probably seen by now, but a lot of roster moves for the Cardinals on Monday ahead of the game against Toronto at Busch Stadium. They had two guys go on the injured list. Steven Matz, who threw just four pitches on Sunday before Angel Rondon came into the game and gave them five shutout innings, allowed just one hit. Excellent performance by Rondon and, and really a necessary one to help save the bullpen. It also helped that the offense was exploding everywhere you looked for the Cardinals on that game. So it, it really wasn't going to be a concern about having to use any of your re- leverage relievers, but nevertheless, it uh, was really good to see from Rondone. What kind of reward does he get for that? Well, he gets sent back to Memphis because of the roster churn. Y- you're not going to use a guy out of your bullpen that just threw five innings the previous day, 86 pitches career or not a career high, but a season high for Rondone. And so he went back onto the Memphis shuttle in favor of Junior Fernandez, get a, a fresh arm back up here. He hadn't pitched in a couple of days, and so he's ready to go. That was a move that the Cardinals made. Mats to the injured list. Libertor had been sent out after his start on Saturday. He's back and is likely to slide into that Stephen Matt spot in the rotation. It was the shoulder impingement for Mats. You saw on Sunday just four pitches. Ali Amarmal said, you know, it just didn't look right with him, only throwing around 91 on his fastball for the first few pitches, as opposed to the 94-95 they're used to seeing from him in the first inning. He had even mentioned that he was kind of stiff after the warm-up tosses before the game, and so they called it at that point. They're not too concerned about the severity, according to the way that John Moselock talked about it today, but at the same time, it's a shoulder. Matt's has a history. I, I'm, I hold your breath a little bit. Uh, but maybe not for too long because you might not like the answer. We'll see if he's able to return in any sort of uh, realistic timeline here. But I I don't know what to expect out of Matt's with with that shoulder situation kind of flaring up on him. What it means, though, is Matthew Libertore will be back and he'll be slotting into the rotation. Dylan Carlson went on the injured list as well on Monday with a hamstring. We knew that hamstring had happened over the weekend. He didn't play in the game on Sunday. Grade 1-2, dash so it's kind of an in-between a grade 1 and a grade 2 that could mean a few weeks. It could mean a month. It could mean a little bit longer than that. You know, these these soft tissue injuries, if you've been paying attention in the past, sometimes they tend to linger. It's hard to really get a, get a handle on how soon to bring a guy back because you might feel you're good, but then you go to ramp up and it it, it kind of becomes a recurring injury and you don't want that. A lot of times you see that in football players as well. It's like you want to make it a one-week injury, but then if you bring a guy back too soon, you could potentially risk it getting worse if it's not all the way healed yet. So we'll see what that ends up being for Carlson. What it means, though, is, well, for one, Lars Newtbar is back with the big league club. Didn't get to start today. And I just feel like it's a matter of time. You're looking at Dickerson, you're giving him those opportunities. I would love to see Bar at this point be getting all of the at-bats that are being allocated to Dickerson. And the reason for that is, I think you know the ceiling of Corey Dickerson. I think you know what he is and you know what he's going to be, even if things are going well. He's going to be a contact hitter, like in a perfect world, he's going to get on base because he's going to hit for a pretty good batting average. He's done that in recent years, but this year he just hasn't really had it. But you're limited. It's a, it's a capped upside because he's not going to hit for power. He's not a home run hitter anymore. He's really adapted to just being a contact-oriented guy, which is fine if it works. But I, I think Newt Bar has more upside than that. Newt Bar hit three home runs on Sunday for Memphis, one of which was a grand slam. Can you imagine at this point in his career, Corey Dickerson hitting three home runs in a, in a month, maybe even in a full season? Maybe at Memphis, maybe in the minor leagues, he'd, he'd be able to tap into a little bit more of a, a power supply. But that's just not something I think is realistically within the range of outcomes right now for Dickerson. It clearly is for Lars Nupar because he did it yesterday. I guess technically not yesterday, but Sunday. It's Tuesday now that I'm talking to you, but you know what I mean. Lars dupart has got that power. I don't know that he's going to be as good of an on-base player, but the thing is right now for Newpar, they haven't given him the opportunity. He was 2 for 16 before he got sent to Memphis the first time. 16 at-bats, that's just, that just was not enough to really get a handle on on what his skill set can be, and so that's why they sent him out. They said, we got to get the guy every day at-bats. It's not fair to let him rot on the bench here in St. Louis, though given the difference in the pay structure, I'd be happy to ride on the bench in St. Louis. But for his long-term development, Newpar needed at-bats. Well, he went he went down and got them, had an OPS of, of over 1,000 in 50 uh, plate appearances. And so here he is back in St. Louis, first day up, not finding his way into the lineup. I think that traces back to what's going to happen with Dickerson. I'm watching Tyler O'Neill because when he comes back, you're going to need a roster spot. And I'll tell you, Who's not going anywhere? Yepes, Donovan, and most likely Gorman. I'd be surprised to see Gorman go anywhere. I think they waited so long to call him up because they knew that once they did, it was going to be sink or swim for him at the big leagues, unless it really gets bad where he just goes on a big, long offer and needs to go back down to reset. I think Gorman is probably here to stay. And so you you kind of limit yourself there with with what your options are going to be as far as um, who to send out when O'Neal returns healthy can talk about the playing time at that point, but you know, right now, Yepez is playing a lot of DH, playing a lot of left field, as well he should be. He's hitting really well, and he's an offensive force for this team. If Donovan continues to play well, stick him in right field. I don't care, because he made a great catch in the 10th inning that saved at least a run. Sliding, coming into his kind of left toward the first baseline, the left field line, was playing in the gap a little bit, had a long way to go to make this play. In the 10th inning, that ended up being a huge play in this game, allowing the Cardinals to keep that score tied and and set up their offense the way they wanted to in the bottom of the 10th. And that was after having a two-hit day at the plate. So for me, you're going to see Donovan maybe play some more outfield. Like If this was a trial run, it, he certainly passed the test. Marmol said, we considered maybe going Newt Bar as a defensive replacement to put an actual outfielder in the outfield. I'm surprised with how kind of blunt they were about Donovan not being an outfielder. I know he's mostly been an infielder in the minors and has been exclusively an infielder prior to, to his opportunity here in the majors, but he's athletic. I mean, he's, he's just continuing to pick up every challenge. Like it's nothing. And uh, that was impressive to see, but I'm just thinking about what the at-bats could look like in the outfield mix when O'Neill gets back. But one guy that I just don't, I just don't know what the upside is for his at-bats right now is, is probably Dickerson. I know he got a hit tonight, and it was an important one, but I'd like to see what Nupar is. I'd give those at-bats to Nupar, and then, you know, you could talk about sending Nupar out potentially when O'Neill gets back. But my, my view on it is the only reason Nupar is being viewed as a guy who could be sent out and you don't lose that much by doing it is because they just haven't given him the chance to play in the lineup. Like, Donovan got here, they immediately gave him a chance, and he thrived. If you give Newt Bar the kind of advance that Donovan has gotten in the starting lineup on an everyday basis, I don't know that Newt Bar is going to do the same thing because what Donovan has done has been really impressive. But I think Newt Bar would end up having some success that would then allow you to go, oh yeah, this, this kid's dynamic. He's fun. He's exciting. He's young. He's hungry. Like, let's see what he's got. They just haven't really given Newt Bar those same opportunities. And I think it's a a direct result of being blocked right now by Corey Dickerson and, and some of those opportunities are going to him instead. I thought it would be more of an even split even when they made the signing. That's why I wasn't panicking initially. If you, you recall my comments on B-Shape Daily about the Dickerson signing when it happened was, hey, $5 million, that's nothing, and it's just a little bit of extra security for that outfield in the, in the case of injuries. I didn't know that Yepez and Donovan would both hit the way that they have and be able to hold their own at, at a minimum in the outfield, so I didn't really consider those guys' options back then. I thought, hey, injuries happen. Newbar's going to slide in and be a start. It hasn't exactly gone that way. But I, I you know, I, I didn't view it as, oh, he's going to directly block Lars Newt Bar because Corey Dickerson's here. It's kind of the way that it's gone. You've added Albert Pujols since then as well. He's taking up some of the DH chances. And so Newt Bar has just kind of been boxed out at every turn. I'd love to see him just get an opportunity and maybe see what he could do with it. Uh, and and with the way other guys are performing with theirs, it's kind of maybe going to be hard to find a spot for him, but that's why I just think, give him more chances over Dickerson right now, and if he proves himself, maybe Dickerson gets Wally pipped through really no fault of his own, other than to say that at the beginning of the year, Dickerson hasn't been good, even though his average, I'm not going to look it up, but I'm sure his batting average has creeped up a little bit in in recent days with with the, the different base hits that he's been able to collect, but That's kind of where I am on on the nuke bar situation. The one kind of pseudo injury that I didn't mention was the fact that we almost got the debut of Ivan Herrera on Monday. He's called up to the Cardinals, the the catching prospect who maybe could be the heir apparent. I don't want to lap Andrew Kisner with that kind of comment, but uh, Yadier Molina, not with the team right now. He's back in Puerto Rico. Uh, Word is that his son injured his arm playing baseball and is going to need a surgery and that necessitated Yachty taking the trip down uh, to the por- to Puerto Rico in order to be with his son right now. And so he's on the bereavement list. When everybody saw bereavement list, they thought maybe maybe a death in the family, uh, but it's basically the same list, and it has the same impact as the f- uh, family medical emergency leave uh, list in, in terms of Major League Baseball. And so three to seven games, I believe, is or, or it might be three to seven days is the length of time that Yachty is eligible to remain on that list. He's got to miss at least three. Uh, I imagine it'll end up being between, you know, three and seven, somewhere in that range, Um, probably four or five, if I had to guess. I don't think it'll be the full seven, but you never know, as long as everything's going well down there. But uh, Yachty away from the team right now. And so the reason we almost got the debut of Herrera in tonight's game after Andrew Kisner got the start was because Albert Pujols pinch hit for Kisner in the 10th inning, and if Goldsmith had not walked it off, we would have seen Ivan Herrera catching the remainder of that game, which would have been pretty interesting. Uh, definitely would have been an interesting way for him to get his debut. Ultimately, it did not happen that way. But there's a possibility you'll see him in the coming days. And it's just kind of the, the youth infusion that has continued for the Cardinals this season. I, it's it's honestly working, though. <laughs> like That was what really struck me, other than the Goldsmith Grand Slam, which, you know... I opened the show talking about and, and don't have a whole heck of a lot else to say about other than, yeah, it's a guy who is first four at-bats of the night. He makes a total of five outs and, and kind of mentioned that. Three strikeouts, grounds into a double play, ends up getting the the big hit of the night. I was so glad to see it go over the wall for him and not just be like a, a long single that the Cardinals win the game 4-3 to three because Goldsmith's got to pad those stats, baby. 976 OPS, Add four RBIs to his total, right? Because MVP conversation, I think, should be legitimate for Goldie at this point. As long as MLB's stats are updated here, that's seven homers and 33 RBIs on the season for him. Hitting 338 after where he was at the beginning of the season. About a month ago, his OPS was five eighty-five on, on this day a month ago, April 23rd. So, it's not that anymore. 976 OPS, seven homers, 33 RBIs. 22 of those RBIs, if, if my math was correct, have come during this 15-game hitting streak. 33 on the season. So he's certainly creeping up there in terms of the National League categories uh, for MVP consideration. I, I, I would love to see him do it. At age 34, just to continue on a tear, to be able to put up. He's got to accumulate. He's got to put up some numbers to be able to get there a little behind in the home run category. He's got to be catching up there in RBIs. He might be near the top at this point. No PS. He's right near the top five as well. So I'd love to see it for Goldsmith. But other than that, for me, the takeaway tonight really was the contributions of Yepes and Donovan. And it seems like so many nights over the last few weeks, we have thought about those guys being leading contributors for this team. And Donovan does it defensively. He does it with a couple of uh, hits. Had the RBI double, scored another run. Just really solid stuff from both of those guys. I don't know how long this can possibly continue for either of them, but they're taking good at bats, and that's why, you know, he said, "Olimar Marmol, He said, "They're this is what they're made of. This is they're essentially they're built different." And it's easy to hear a manager say that and go, "Yeah, okay, sure, whatever," and just kind of dismiss it. But both guys are averaging over 300 still. Both guys are continuing to make impacts offensively. Like, Yipes had kind of come down a little bit after tonight's home run. His OPS is down to 899, which is still pretty good. And so I, I don't think you're going to see him probably even that high. If he can be a guy who OPS is 800 at the big league level and can sustain that, that would be huge for the Cardinals moving forward. I'll say the same thing about Donovan because he's still over 1,000, and that's not going to hold. But if, he, if, if those guys can OPS over 800, There have been years where the Cardinals had maybe just a couple guys. I remember, I guess it was 2019. If that was Edmonds' debut season, his OPS was 850. I think Goldsmith was maybe the only other guy that was above that on the entire team, whatever year that was. Now I got to look it up. Tommy Edmund, baseball reference. What year did Tommy Edmund debut? Yes, it was 2019. I'm not a dummy. I got it right. But if those guys can continue to make those sorts of impacts offensively, You've got a longer lineup than maybe you bargained for or than maybe you thought you had. I should mention Aronado tonight, too. He goes 3 for 4. That's good to see from him because his numbers have kind of been slipping as well yeah, relative to where he was there for a while. His OPS now back above 900. That's good to see. Mentioned Goldsman at 976. Edmund holding steady there at 804. I think he's going to probably end up being below that. 0 for 4 tonight, but did walk and score a run, so that's that's fine to see from him be interesting to see though kind of how these young guys continue to to get into the mix they're going to get every opportunity to do so and 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 in many ways right now they're kind of carrying this team other notes from the game on Monday Edmund stole his 11th base him and Harrison Bader keep trading back and forth not only the lead of the team but I think they're basically the the leaders in the national league in stolen bases right now Edmund getting his 11th I believe Bader's got either 10 or eleven. I can't remember if he's tied with him now or not but they're doing a nice job with that. Interesting to see, first of all, that it was Polante. I had mentioned, I maybe kind of trailed away from this before I finished the thought, but it was Polante coming into that leverage spot. You might want to save him for clean innings, especially after maybe not going the, the way you wanted it to tonight. The reason it was Polante instead of Helsley, and, and Marmol said Helsley was the other consideration there, uh, was that tonight, Gallegos and Helsley, they knew that those guys were both only available for three innings. They were only going to throw one inning, or pardon me, three outs, only going to throw one inning each, and that is what happened. It was Gallegos for the eighth and Helsley for the ninth, and that kind of spurned some consideration from the media up in the press box wondering maybe what the deal was with that. Um, Helsley's not announced as the closer. It was just a case of they felt the, the toughest leverage spot there in the eighth was to go with Gallegos because it was the the heart of the order in that spot. I believe he he faced Springer there. And uh, Helsley ended up getting maybe the bottom of the lineup more so when he pitched in the ninth inning in a tie game. And so those guys both did pitch one inning, but they thought polante if he would have been able to get out of that seventh inning unscathed, he could have come back out for the eighth and maybe you you kick the can down the road on Gallegos and Helsley a little bit more. But once Pallante walked the two guys and then was able to escape the jam without any further damage, that's when they went to Gallegos, went to Helsley. And it was Genesis Cabrera who got the uh, the win tonight because he came in and pitched the top of the 10th inning. Intentional walk that they gave up uh, to, to kind of set things up the way they wanted to with the ghost man on second, but uh good inning by Cabrera. Bullpen really did their job tonight outside of Palante, really just kind of struggling. And the second walk of of his was a pitch that was not a bad pitch. Looked like a slider low and away. That was just off the plate, but it was one of those pitches where on, on a on a three-ball count, you've got to probably find a way to put the ball in the strike zone there and not... Need a, a batter to chase. I believe it was even a full count. You you can't hope for a batter to chase in that spot when you've already walked in a run. But that's all right. He's got really good stuff. He's going to continue to to learn. I think grow from the experience tonight. And it was good to see him end up getting the out that he needed uh, to get out of the inning without really letting things unravel there in the seventh. So bullpen mostly impressive. Michaelis good. Young guys good. A lot of good things to like about what the Cardinals did tonight and uh, finding a way to get their fourth win in a row. And this one coming over the Toronto Blue Jays. That, though, I think is going to do it for this edition of b Shafe Daily. Cardinals have one more coming up against the Blue Jays on Tuesday and then an off day on Wednesday. Cardinals will look for the the miniature sweep at Busch Stadium when they take on Toronto on Tuesday. I believe that one is going to be Jordan Hicks who starts that game. I'm pretty sure, I guess that should be something I'm a little bit more aware of before I just shout that out into the ether, right? 6.45 6.45 start at Busch Stadium. It will indeed be Hicks. He'll face Kevin Gosman, who's been a really tough customer for the Blue Jays. 2.52 ERA on the season, 57 strikeouts. That's a pretty good number for this point in the year. So that'll be the pitching matchup on tap for Tuesday. We'll try to get in here once again, back in the lab after that game with another B-Shape Daily, breaking things down with the latest and greatest for the St. Louis Cardinals. If there's anything else that I've missed, anything else you'd like to hear me talk about on B-Shape Daily, don't hesitate to reach out. You can do it with a tweet or a direct message on Twitter at b for 12. Make sure to give me a follow over there and subscribe to BShape Daily on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts for you iPhone users, or even Google Podcasts. Make sure you're locked and loaded for future episodes of b Daily so you will be alerted when they drop. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on b Daily. Peace.